Joel chapter 2, verse 16 through to verse 20. Father, this morning we pray for your help and for the Spirit of God to come and to quicken your word to our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you would anoint your word today. You give us ears to hear. Lord, every word that would come from Tim McElrath, I pray that it would, Lord, fall and die. But Lord, I pray for the quickening power of the Spirit of God to open our ears. Lord, that you would take these stammering lips today. And Lord, that you would glorify your name through the preaching of your word. God, would you help us? Lord, we are a needy people. We're living in a needy time in a nation that's in great need. Lord, we need to hear from heaven. Lord, we need to hear a word in season. Lord, we need to hear your heart. Lord, what you're saying, Lord, what the Spirit is saying to the church. So God, would you help us each one? Lord, we need you this morning. We confess our need. We ask for your help. Lord, genuinely, sincerely from our hearts, we look to you, Lord. Lord, would you come among us today and speak in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Joel chapter 2 and verse 16. Gather the people Sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the, the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove from far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word this morning. The prophet Joel and the book of Joel is one of those books that's filled with poetry and pictures. And there's there's so many uh, things that when we read through it of the desolation, the locusts, the wilderness, the armies, and so, so many times we can read through it and just really not grasp what the Spirit of God is saying to us through it because it can be difficult to understand. But God has a message in the book and in the prophet and through the prophet Joel. Like when we come to the book of Revelation, there is pictures of dragons and beasts and harlots. And, and there's just so expressive in its language. And sometimes we read it and then we just wonder what the message really is in the midst of all of that. We know that Joel is bringing a warning at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 2. We touched on it a couple of weeks ago. He declares that we're to blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm. 
that there had to be a warning, that there was a judgment that was coming. And, you know, Paul writes these words, knowing the terror of the Lord, he would persuade men, knowing that there was a common judgment, that God will judge the earth, that then there was a sense that he would persuade men, knowing the events that were coming forth. And may God help us today as his people to understand prophetically what is happening in our nation at this time in the world that we can see with the eyes that God has given us through the anointing and through the revelation of God's word, the days that we've come to, the hour that we're in, and that we are about to witness the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that reality then, being able to see prophetically through God's word where we are and what's about to happen, it should cause the church of Jesus Christ to awaken because we're about to meet the Lord. What we sing about, what we long for, what we hope for, the hope that is in us, the meeting of him in the earth, the church gathered together to meet the Lord in the earth, it should awaken us out of slumber and of sleep. We understand that these men of old, these prophets in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us, if you, if you turn over just to Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, so we understand the, the, the dealings and the moving of the Spirit of God. But in Second Peter chapter 1 verse 21, concerning these Old Testament prophets, And we know there was the minor prophets, the major prophets. That's not one was greater than the other. It's just their content. Joel, one of these minor prophets. The Bible tells us concerning these men that the prophecy, 2 Peter 1.21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so... We understand then these men that came to Israel. We know Joel is, we believe he's about 800 BC before the Lord Jesus Christ and others like him, Habakkuk, Hosea, Isaiah, Ezekiel, so forth, Jeremiah. The Holy Spirit would come upon these men. The Holy Spirit of God would come upon these men and they were moved by the Spirit. Messages were birthed into their hearts. It was the very heart of God that was put into them and they would come moved uh, by the Holy Spirit to bring forth the heart of God. God would warn what was about to happen. God would foretell through the prophet what events were about to be revealed. Now the same Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John, and we sang it this morning, John chapter 14, verse 26. If you turn over just into the gospel of John John 14, 26. Now, this is the same Holy Spirit that moved upon men like Joel, these prophets of the old. But Jesus said in John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Now, this is the same Holy Ghost that would move on these men in the Old Testament. He shall teach you, so it says there, that whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you, All things, the same Holy Spirit, he'll teach you all things. And then it says there, the next 
phrase in that verse, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. So what happens, this is the same Holy Spirit that moved upon these Old Testament prophets. Jesus says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. The Comforter will come. And I'll send him in my name. My Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name. And he's going to teach you things. And then he'll bring to your remembrance whatsoever I've said to you. Now part of that is what we find in the Gospels, particularly Matthew chapter 24 and 25, where the Lord teaches us there concerning the end times. What events will unfold when we come to the end of the world? The Holy Spirit will quicken what the Lord has said and bring to your remembrance what is about to happen. Now we know, and without going into Matthew 24 and 25 this morning, but we know that we are now living in the fulfillment of many and much of what the Lord had warned us of and foretold would take place. We are actually living in those days. What Jesus said, the Holy Spirit should bring to our remembrance God's word. And now we're living in the reality of what the Lord foretold would happen in the last days. And so if you're saved this morning and you have eyes of understanding, when you read Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 25, the Spirit of God then quickens the word to your heart and you're able to discern the time and the day in which we've come to. We are living in the last days. This is the beginning of sorrows. The world is dramatically changing, not by coincidence or climate change. The world is dramatically changing. There is a shaking now on this planet. And everything that's outside of the Lord Jesus Christ will be shaken. Only that which is on that rock, which is Jesus, will stand. Everything else. Listen, brothers and sisters, everything else. Everything else outside of what is built on the Lord Jesus Christ. When the shaking, and it has begun, that shaking has taken place. Everything else is going to crumble. But that which is built on the rock, praise the Lord, is going to stand. And that rock is Jesus. That rock is Jesus Christ. You build your house on anything else. No matter how pretty that house may look or how well you may present it. But if you have built your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, we can truly say this morning that we have nothing to fear for our lives are in this Christ. And he will keep us right to the very end until the day he comes or he calls. And so we see that the Spirit of the Lord will teach you and will bring to your remembrance the things that Jesus has said. Now we must be on our watch the church of Jesus Christ is constantly warned by the Lord Jesus Christ that we are to watch, be not deceived, watch, pray. And so we should be a people that are awakened to that hour, that we just don't, we're not numbed or just go along with the flow of the day. It's very easy just to become numbed by what has taken place and not to be watchful. And so these prophets of old, come back to them for a moment, they, they would stand. Habakkuk, it says in Habakkuk 2 and 1, 
It says these words, I'll stand upon my watch. Brother and sister in Christ, are you upon your watch? Are you upon you? You've got a watch. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I will answer when I am reproved. In other words, every believer, it's the place of prayer, it's the place of watchfulness, has a responsibility to be in the watch, especially, especially in these days. Now we are to be on the watch and we will hear what the Spirit of God is saying and we'll have an identity in the Spirit what God is speaking. Jesus will speak and when he does through his word, he'll bring the revelation of himself and the Spirit of God will speak the words that Christ has given him. In Revelation chapter 1, we see there, if you turn over for a moment, in Revelation chapter 1, we see in this great book, the, this is an apocalyptic book and it reveals to us things that will take place concerning the end times. But one thing that the book is primarily all about, and never forget this, you'll find it in the first few words of Revelation. Revelation 1 and 1 says, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Keep that focus because I know so often when it comes to end times, everyone will want to slot you into a particular group of what you believe and where it all happens and all the time. But the main thing about the book is it's about Jesus. Actually, from Genesis to Revelation, the whole book is about a man called Jesus Christ. And that keeps it simple for us. But here John, the apostle, is, re is, is receiving this revelation. And it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of the prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein. Do, do you see what the Spirit of God is saying? Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of the prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for, for the time is at hand. So it's important when we walk through that and John has the revelation of the Lord and he falls as a, as a dead man just on down the chapter. He's instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 19. John, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are. And then what does he say? And the things which shall be hereafter. The things that are going to happen. It's a prophetic book. The book that most of you have sitting upon your knee will tell you the beginning right to the end. And that's all about Jesus, but everything in between will reveal to you and show you what is about to happen and what is happening in this world at this time. And all the warnings and the judgments, you know, God is so faithful because in every generation where God, when I talk about judgment, even God in not the final judgment, but God chastising his people or chastising the nation. 
for turning away from God, which God has done throughout all of history. He brings judgments upon a nation for turning away from him. But in all those judgments that the Lord would bring, it was always, always, every time you read all those prophets, in the midst of that, they would bring the revelation that there's mercy with God. Right to the very end, he would plead with his people. He's a God that's full of mercy. He's merciful in the Old Testament. And he's merciful in the New Testament. He's not just, he just didn't become merciful in the New Testament. He's always been merciful. And in all of the dealings of God, when God would send his prophet and bring his word to his people, often Israel who were backsliding and going after other gods and turning away from his word and his way, in the midst of all the great declarations of prophets with tears and and being rejected, they would plead with the people that in God there's mercy. There's actually a way back. There's a way through this. There's a way out of this. That is the grace of God. That God would provide a way. But the responsibility upon men was whether they would respond to the grace of God. Whether they would respond to God's offer of mercy that he would lead you out from the dark paths of sin and bring you into the glory of his great salvation. It's there for everyone. That's grace. But whether men receive that was another thing. And so he would speak and send his men. And they would bring the message of there is a judgment coming, but always brought hope, always brought the message of restoration, revival, blessing, and peace, that in everything there was a way. And they would weep and they would cry aloud and they would call out. But most of the time, you know from reading through Scripture, that they were rejected. Their message was rejected. They were put in prisons. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were thrown in the dungeons. They were expelled from the nation. Kings would cast them out. We don't want to hear this message because man becomes self-sufficient. He, be- he began to trust in his own ability and his own security. It could never happen to Northern Ireland. It could never happen to, to, to Britain. Rule Britannia. Britannia rules the race. The United Kingdom could never break up. This could never happen to our nation. And they put their trust in their national identity above their identity with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God. And they would serve other gods. And they never thought that what the prophet said would ever come to pass. They never thought, they never believed it as they turned to their own way. This would never happen here. This could never happen in Balna Hedge. It could never happen to Northern Ireland. Well, this is for God and for Ulster. It could never happen here. We are the people, right? We could never see a day when the thing would crumble. We could never see. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, this morning, one day, this whole world is going to be judged by Jesus Christ. And every kingdom in this world is going to be brought low. And there's only one kingdom that will last forever. And that's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. No other kingdom but his kingdom. And so he would send the message from his heart and he would bring them into the streets of Israel and and 
Judah, and he would proclaim through his men, his heart, that people would come to him, and they rejected him. Then Jesus, it says of him, came on to his own, what does it say? And his own received him not. In the fullness of time, God's great mercy, he did not send a prophet, he sent his son. And his son came into the world to save sinners, to set us free, to deliver us from oppression and from sin and from a lost, going to a lost eternity. And he came on to his own. What did they do? They rejected him. He went to his own village. And there as he stands and they begin to question his credentials. You know, you think this is, this is nothing new. They would question whether he's able or whether he, he should be bringing such a message. Is this, not, is this not the carpenter's son? Who is this? Well, we know him for who he is. And the Lord would say, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And not many great things were done there because, why? Because they didn't believe. And in the warnings, he began to bring forth his heart, the heart of the Father, that there's mercy. There's mercy with God. You know, Moses wanted to know, God, I want to revel. This is the Old Testament. Because much of the preaching today, you would think that God only became merciful in the Gospels. But he's always been merciful. That's who he is. And he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And the revelation of his mercy came to us through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But Moses said, I want to know who you are. And the Lord passed before him in Exodus 34 and said, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. I keep mercy for thousands. I forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. And that by will no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, under the third and the fourth generation. Paul writes these words, Ephesians chapter 2 and 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. He's rich, for in his great love that he has loved us. He demonstrated that through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this mercy is poured out to us through Jesus. And as we're reading this morning in Joel chapter 2, I want you to note something that's really important. And really, it's the keys to the blessing of the Lord. It's the key because we read of barns being full, there'll be oil, there'll be, there'll be all the blessings of the Lord would be poured out. We see that there'll be corn, there'll be wine, there'll be oil. And every time you read that, it's speaking of God's blessing. That's God's blessing. And we want to know, not just understand the times as we touched on it last week. Not do we just want to understand the times, but we want to know what to do. And there's keys. You know, a key will open a door. And that key is crucial to enter into that room. And right throughout this book, you'll find that there are, there are little things, there are small things, they're insignificant, but they're actually key to what is being said, the promise or the blessing of that promise being a reality in your life. And so we can't be presumptuous. We've got to know that God has a way. And so we see these keys, small, essential, 
but they open up the truth and the blessings of the Lord. We just see it's very simply. It's found in Joel chapter 2, verse 18, and it's the first word. Here's the key. It's a four-letter word, but everyone said, if you can see it this morning, then that's a key. That's a key. That's crucial to opening up what we're about to read. It, it would tell us or suggest to us then, not until the preceding verses take place, can we enter into the fullness of all of this. Not until do we see the reality or a people that know what it is to, to weep, to know what it is to be broken before the Lord, to know what it is to pray. Well, we just want the, the corn, the wine, and the oil that always speaks of abundance in Jesus Christ. But right throughout the book, old and new, there are keys. They're small, little words, but they're key to the promise. And we can pull out the promise, read it, and say, that's it. If I said a hundred times, I have it. But you've got to know this morning that God sets forth in his word conditions to the promise. If I just repeat it a hundred times, I might know the verse at the end of it, but if I don't come to understand that God has a way in which we can unlock the blessing of the Lord, then we can just quote the words. There's one thing that can stay the chastisement of God and the nation. And do you know what it is when God's people humble themselves and pray. That's God's word. Actually, we see it in everything of God's dealings, even for salvation. If you turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, a very well-known verse that we all know well, but you'll see here that there are keys in the verse in order that a man or a woman can be saved in Romans chapter 10 and 9, it says these words, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, what does it say? Thou shalt be, if you're saved this morning, would you say amen? amen? Well, here's the truth. You can only be saved if you have confessed. And you can only be saved if you have believed. Because these are the keys to that wonderful, great blessing in the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if, there it is, that's a key. If thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, praise the Lord, you're saved. The promise of salvation. Now the great truth for salvation that has been demonstrated to us has come because we have obeyed the word of the Lord. The grace of God has shown it to us. But there has to be obedience. The fear is that with all the prophets that came and even the prophetic word that's coming today concerning the last days, I mean, was it last Sunday night with Brother Stephen Riddle and preaching on that great white throne I don't know how you felt, but all I know is that as I sat in that corner 
The tears were flowing down my face as I thought. Not because I feared, because I know I'm saved, but the reality of the judgment of God. And the reality that so many people that are around us and close to us are not ready to meet the Lord. If it should come or call, it's the sobriety of a great white throne judgment. And yet, and yet, in all of that, people leave the same way they came in. And the fear in all of this is as the word is proclaimed faithfully and the proclamation which will continually and the trumpet will continually be blown and the alarm will be sounded right to the time when Christ comes. The fear is that we are so like the people that these Old Testament prophets came to warn. If you turn to another one, it's, if you go back into the book of Joel and then the next book is the book of Amos. Another minor prophet, another prophet of the Lord. Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom. So the Israel was divided at this time, the northern, the southern kingdom. God would send prophets to both kingdoms. Joel was a prophet to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom around the same time. God would be sending his message to the people of God that they would turn that they would heed the warnings that he was sending them. If you turn to Amos chapter 6, and now remember he's speaking to his own people at this time. Amos chapter 6 and verse 1, this is what he said. This is the prophet of the Lord. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. They weren't awakening to what was about to happen. It was about to happen, but they didn't think it would. And so the prophet then begins to cry, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria. So in the northern kingdom, they honestly believed that Samaria could never be taken. It could never go. It could never fall. It's impossible for any army to come and take Samaria because we come here, we worship here, we do our thing here, but Samaria will never fall. And you have a man then preaching, if you try to put it in the context if you were alive at that time and you see the prophet of the Lord standing saying, Woe to you that are at ease in Zion, that put your trust in Samaria. Samaria is going to end. And they would all be looking at, well, what do you think they'd be saying? This guy's crazy. This is never going to end. And that's what the world are saying. This, these people talk about the second coming. They must be mad. This world's never going to end. Actually, we're getting better. Our intellectual abilities increasing. What we can do with technology. Look at the advancement that we've had in the last hundred years. But yet the Bible tells us that knowledge will increase. The Bible actually told us that these days would come. Things would happen that we can't even believe. You know, for thousands of years, men, their form of transport was a donkey or a horse. In a hundred years, we are flying spacecrafts into the into outer space. We are flying in airplanes, cars, motorbikes. It is unbelievable what is happening. But the Bible told us this would happen. And so he says that you're trusting in the Mount of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Now, what I'm just trying to put this into our language so you understand. What had happened really in the northern kingdom was Everything of religion was for them. It wasn't for God. 
So when they came to the house of God, this is all for me this morning. And so they were all walking into the house of God and everyone was great. But this is about me. It wasn't for God. And they were trusting in Samaria and they were saying, this is never going to be taken. We're here forever. And then it says, pass ye to Galna and see, Galna and see, and from whence to Hamath and the great, and go down to Gath to the Philistines. Be thee any better kingdoms than these? In other words, he's saying, now just, I want to stop you for a moment. See that kingdom and this kingdom and these great cities. Have a look at them. What happened to them? And you think that everything's going to be fine for you? Verse 3, it says, Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near. In other words, what they were saying, it's never going to happen. This is, this is pie in the sky stuff. This early fairy Christian stuff and there's a heaven, there's a hell and Jesus and all. These people, it's never going to happen. Have you heard all this? Have you heard the ridicule on our news? Have you heard the ridicule through the radio? Have you heard the ridicule on the street? These people have lost the plot. You hear it in the workplace. You hear it all around you. Really? You still believe that old thing? I mean, no, no. Years ago we were taught that, but we have moved on. And we hear it all the time. They put away the evil day. They think it's never going to happen. And verse 4 says, That lie upon beds of ivory, stretch themselves on the couches, eat the lambs out of the flock, calves out of the midst, of the stall, that chant to the sound of the violin, and invent themselves instruments of music like David. They drink wine and bowls. They anoint themselves with the cheap, chief ointments. I mean, it's just, we're going to live this life. It's all about pleasure. It's all about enjoying yourself. It's all about having a good time. It's all about, we're just going to enjoy this. And they stretch themselves out on the couch and Everything's fine. Everything's dandy. Everything's wonderful. And we're going to make more money. We're going to build bigger houses. We're going to have the time of our lives. We're going to enjoy this. And the prophets stand and say, Woe to you. Do you not know what's happening? Then it says just these last few words in that verse 6. But they're not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Not powerful. They're not even grieved. They're not moved. And at this time, this was to God's people. This was to those that were at ease in, in church and ease in the Christian faith. And they weren't, they weren't even grieved with the affliction of Jews. What's he saying there? What does that mean? What does it mean that they're not actually concerned with the affliction of Jews? What happened to Joseph? His brethren took him. What did they do with him? They betrayed him. What did they do with him? They cast him into a pit, and then what happened? Genesis 37, it tells us these words simply. They took him, they cast him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water. Verse 25 opens with this. And they sat down and they ate bread. Shocking. How could anyone do that? When a world around us are going to hell as fast as they can, when, when, when people are broken, when streets are filled with homeless, broken individuals, drug addicts, prostitutes, drug, all around us. It's a world that's in a mess. It's a world that is sinking deeper and deeper into depression and suicide and everything that comes with it. But for the most part, the church will sit down and eat bread and never have a thought of the cry that comes from the pits of this world. 
But thank God there's one that hears the cry and his name's Jesus. And many of you in this room have been delivered from that pit because Jesus heard your cry. And so the prophet's saying, you're enjoying yourself. There's a wee song that goes, my house is full, but my field is empty. We're having a great time, but there's a world that's broken and ruined and heading for destruction. And would God's people awaken? They're not concerned with the affliction of Joseph. They're not concerned we can sit down and eat bread and maybe turn our music up a little bit louder because we don't want to hear the groans of the prisoner, the cry of the broken and the destitute and the prostitute and those that are wrecked with sin and and bondage. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the hope of our nation is the gospel. It's the only hope. The word just says then, if there was a weeping really, and we can't connive it, manufacture it, or make it up, but really if there was a genuine brokenness at the altar of the Lord, where the ministers, that's everyone who's saved, would weep for a world that's broken because, as we looked last week, his heritage has been given to reproach. The heathen is ruling over us. And they are saying, where is your God? And we will rule out social activity after social activity. And it does not set the captive free. The gospel sets men free. And we will unite around great social programs. And we will come together. It makes us feel as though we're doing something. I'll Throw a a tenor and a plate for a mission, but don't let me have to sacrifice. Don't let me have to give my life for the sake of the gospel. Let me be saved and go to heaven, but don't challenge me that I have to give everything because Jesus gave all to me. Let me live my life. Let me lie on my ivory a bed and let me drink my drink and let me just chill out. Just keep it light and easy for us. Don't rock the boat. Make it easy. Brothers and sisters, we have eternity to sit at the throne of grace and enjoy the ecstasy and the majesty and the wonder of Jesus Christ forever and forever and forever. But we're to labor while it's day. For the night's coming. These keys are crucial. Because I know we touched on them last week. And we looked at the priest. And the ministers of the Lord weeping. It's only then. It's only then. It's only then. That the Lord is moved. There's a precondition to open the riches and the glory of his presence and the bounty of heaven and for his presence to be poured out in revival power. It's then or when or if. I know Brian spoke on it on Wednesday, but you see it in Second Chronicles 7 and 14, again, probably a verse that we're too familiar with. 
But what does it begin with? There's the key. If. If. If my people, not the conservatives, not Labour, not the Lib Dems, not the DUP, not Sinn Féin, not the SDLP, not the UUP, if my people, my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Their wicked way is any other way but God's. Then, there's the key, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. Jeremiah the prophet came. If you look at Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10, Jeremiah the prophet of the Lord came, speaking to Israel again. Jeremiah 29 and 10, he said these words, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. I will perform my good word towards you. I'll cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. God's thinking towards his people, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Verse 12 opens with this word. Here's the key. Then, after that, then shall you call upon me. And ye shall go and pray unto me. And I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me. Then there's the word when. This is when you'll find him. When you shall search for me with all of your heart. Then you're going to find me. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. I will gather from you. You from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, saith the Lord. I will bring you again to the place which I cause you to be carried away captive. What God can do, what God can do, what God will do when he finds a people that are truly broken, humble before him, know what it is to pray, cry out to God, Lord, would you spare our children? Would you have mercy on our loved ones? Lord, would you awaken us from slumber and sleep? The fear is that we've become too clever, too advanced, too smart, too right in our own eyes, too full, know too much. And the simplicity of the keys of the promises of God. Isaiah says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And they are God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's well above it all. And so in all of this, God's saying, if you do this, I'll be jealous again for my people. I'll pity them. Yea, I will answer. I will come. I'll send you the corn, the wine, the oil. You'll be satisfied because all that is, is in Jesus. Individually, it's not acting humble. It's a condition of our heart. It's a brokenness before the Lord. It can't be created. I can't just say, oh, I'm going to be humble here. This is a condition of the Spirit of God that creates 
to a people that are willing where the church again knows what it is to get on its knees and begin to pray and to seek the Lord with tears. If we, if we, the church, had a glimpse for a moment, not of heaven, but of hell, I dare say that every one of us would be on our knees weeping before the Lord. And so we say often, let them see hell. I wonder what would happen if we seen it. We need, again, individually, corporately, nationally. You know, we've come really so far. It's actually, it's only when you talk, you know, David sent me a clip of an old uh, ex-veteran from Dunkirk, I think it was. I don't know why you've seen it on the BBC. The near jumped all over him to keep him quiet because he is pre-political correctness. So that's the BBC struggle with that. And the old gent was sitting there. He's got all his medals and he's sitting there. I said to him, what, what's the most significant thing would you advise young people or talk to? And he says, he started to talk about a man called King George, the present queen's father. And he says, you know, we need to know what it is as a nation to pray again. I knew they were about to do backflips in the BBC. They're so liberal. They're so way gone. And you know, he says, we need to know what it is as a nation to pray and to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, at that stage, she was trying to get along the couch to just, we're going to cut this. Can you imagine this nation? Can you imagine the heritage of this nation, the gospel Christian heritage of the United Kingdom? And the British Broadcasting Cooperation are trying to shut that down. The, the blessings that we're living in is because of the sacrifice that men of God have made and women of God in the years gone by. And the old man says, oh, he was a godly king and he called the nation to prayer. He called the nation to prayer. And I looked that up and there's footage on YouTube. You can watch it. Hundreds and thousands of people it's on that they have black and white, hundreds and thousands of people queuing to get in the cathedrals and churches all across the United Kingdom. Hundreds and thousands of people, kings, prime ministers, the notable, the royals, the, the great and the small alike, were gathering into churches to pray for the nation. Do you know what the reporter said? I think it was the BBC. Know what he actually reported? This was a nation, or this is a nation, that believes in divine guidance and Christian laws. That's what he said, reporting that day. Can you imagine hearing that today? This is a nation. What were they praying for? 330,000 men with their backs, their backs against the channel. And Hitler's army racing across the continent of Europe, 330,000 British and Allied forces would have been absolutely obliterated, annihilated. The British army would have been wiped out in a night. And the king says, we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. We need to come and pray unto God. Can you imagine our present queen calling this nation, let us pray and seek Jesus. But we can't because we're a multi-faith, multicultural, multi-this. What a tragedy. But they did pray. 
And you know, the events surrounding that are unique. Hitler's army, historians to this day are reading, are baffled why Hitler stopped his army. They can't work it out. His commanders couldn't work it out. Then there was three days of bad weather that the, uh, the German aircraft couldn't fly up and obliterate them at Dunkirk. Then when they called for 800 boats and vessels to cross the channel, they say the English channel was like, was like glass. It was so smooth. And in one night, 330,000 men were delivered. Why? 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 Because a nation turned to God and prayed. A nation turned to God and prayed. God, have mercy upon us. We're not going to be bombed out. There's not going to be a bullet. There's no army. But there's a spiritual wicked force of evil that this nation has turned from God and we will destroy it ourselves because of our own sin. Lord, we have made void thy laws. But when God's people, when God's people, with a whole heart, with a genuine heart, with a humble heart, and sincere concern for the world around us, collectively turn to God. God will hear us, and God will answer. I'm not praying again for an empire to be raised up. I'm praying for a harvest of precious souls for his kingdom, that God would give our nation space to repent. Another prophet said this, I'll close. Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return unto the Lord. For he is torn, and he will heal us. He is smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, as going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain. Under the earth. Oh God, how we need the rain. Would you have mercy upon us, Lord? Would you have mercy upon us? Would you have mercy upon us individually, corporately? Would you have mercy upon the church in Balnehinch, the body of Christ, what we have made it, what the world has seen of it? Lord, would you have mercy upon your body across these islands? Lord, would you forgive us for the, 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 the sectarianism and the bigotry and the hatred that's in amongst the church of Jesus Christ? Lord, would you have mercy? Why? Because you're merciful. And Lord, we're at the end. Lord, we want to see you come and save. Because judgment's coming. It is coming. Chastisement is coming. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's pray together this morning.